Today, though, here at Mosaic, we are starting a brand new series called The Struggle is Real. And when I started preparing for this series, I thought back to a really old poem that probably some of you are familiar with. The name of the poem was called Footprints in the Sand. Anybody remember this poem or ever read it? Let me see your hands. Okay, let me ask one other question, and I'm just being nosy at this point. Um, Any of you have that poem framed somewhere in your house? Okay, some of you are like all in on the Footprints in the Sand poem, and some of you are sitting here going, I've never seen the poem, never read the poem. What's it about? So The poem is really about a person describing their own relationship with God. And they basically say that as they look back on their life, they can see how God was walking with them like a long journey or a long walk down the beach. And God was with them throughout their lifetime, right? They, They see their own footprints in the sand, but then they also talk about how they could see God's footprints in the sand. And so it's a a poem that encourages a lot of people, but there's something strange about the poem because what the person realizes is that at some points in their life, when they're on this journey together, usually during the darkest days and the most difficult seasons of their life, when the struggle was real, they only saw one set of footprints in the sand. And so they ask God, God, why did you leave me? especially then, especially when I needed you the most. Why did you leave me all alone? And God clarifies, and he says, I I didn't leave you alone. Those were the days when I was carrying you. And so a lot of people who know that the struggle is real, they read that poem. Some of you even like frame the poem because you're like, man, that's what I need to hear is that God is a God who is always with me. And so if if you've been around Mosaic for very long at all, you know that I'm not a a poem kind of guy. I never use poems in my message. It's just something I don't do. I'm not a three points in a poem kind of guy, okay? But my buddy JB, he sent me this other poem, okay? And it's kind of like Footprints in the Sand, but it's a little bit different. And when I read it, I couldn't resist. So I got to share it with you this morning. Check it out on the side screen. It goes like this. One night I had a wondrous dream, one set of footprints there was seen, the footprints of my precious Lord, but mine were not along the shore. But then some stranger prints appeared, and I asked the Lord, what have we here? Those prints are large and round and neat, but Lord, they are too big for feet. My child, he said in somber tones, for miles I carried you alone. I challenged you to walk in faith. But you refused and made me wait. You disobeyed. You would not grow. The walk of faith, you would not know. So I got tired. I got fed up. And there I dropped you on your butt. (laughs) Because in life, there comes a time when one must fight and one must climb. When one must rise and take a stand or leave their butt prints in the sand. Now you know why I had to use a poem in today's message. That is awesome, right? But we've all been there. We've all been struggling at times in our life where we felt like, man, I just need God to carry me. And sometimes the struggle seems to last for so long that it's like God is like, I'm tired of carrying you. And he drops us on our butt in the sand because the struggle is real. And you don't need me to tell you that. We use this phrase all the time in our culture, usually talking about some really 
trivial types of things, right? So some of you right now, you think about the struggle being real in your own life and, and you felt like the struggle was real just trying to get up, get the kids ready for church and get here by 9.30. Anybody feeling that pain right now? Yeah, like some of you are like, yes, I, I actually just typed in the hashtag struggle is real because you know that that's a hard thing to do on Sunday morning. You come rolling in and you're grouchy and the kids weren't cooperating and so the struggle was very real for you today. For others of you, it's it's a different issue. I saw a few weeks ago on Time Change Sunday, a lot of people were posting hashtag the struggle is real because they lost a whopping one hour of sleep one night, right? I saw others posting when they were complaining about their March Madness bracket being busted, right? In fact, there was a guy, I think his name was Michael Anderson, and he posted this. He said, I lost my bracket pool to a middle schooler who didn't even pick a final four. Hashtag, the struggle is real, right? For, for me, the struggle is real on different levels. Um, right now, I've got an 18-year-old daughter. Um, she is absolutely beautiful, and she's in college. So that's creating all kinds of problems for me in my life. I've got a 16-year-old son who is getting ready to drive starting next month. And so that's creating a lot of problems. And I feel very much like the struggle is real. But what's interesting about this phrase is that this phrase that we use all the time in our culture, it can be used to describe really, really trivial things. But it can also be used to describe really, really serious and heavy things. Take Jimmy Fallon, for example. Jimmy Fallon uses this hashtag, the struggle is real, to describe a Monday morning after he has had a long weekend. But he's also used the hashtag to describe a five-year battle with infertility. And while this catchphrase can be used in a really joking, lighthearted manner, sometimes we use the phrase to describe some of the most difficult days of our lives. In fact, some of you are going through that right now. Some of you are, are enduring a terrible marriage, and you feel like the struggle is very, very real. Some of you are working through a really messy divorce. Some of you are battling loneliness, depression. You may even be entertaining thoughts of suicide. And if that's you, I want you to know that I am so glad that you are here today because God would bring you to a service like this today so that you could know that he knows that your struggle is real and that there are much better answers out there than thinking about or contemplating suicide. For some of you, you're here today and the struggle is real because you're trying to recover from the biggest mistake that you've ever made in your life. You're dealing with the reality of guilt and shame. You can't believe what you've done or the kind of person that you've become. You're not sure what the consequences are going to be moving forward, and so you're overwhelmed and the struggle is very real for you. For some of you, the struggle is a financial struggle. For some of you, it is a parenting struggle. You're trying to parent these little rugrats, and no matter how hard you try, you're realizing just how difficult that job can be. For some of you, it's a physical struggle in your life, but we all know that it is true. The struggle is real. We can all agree on that. But the question that I want to wrestle with today is, what do you do when the struggle is real? <clears throat> like, like, do you just complain about it? Do you just grit your teeth and bear it? 
Or are there some things that you could actually do that might help you survive the struggle or maybe even thrive in the struggle? That's what I want to help you with this week and next week because that's what you do when you are four people. We're studying the book of 1 Thessalonians right now. And one thing is really clear. The Apostle Paul was for those people who were living in Thessalonica. And because he was for them, He said, I want to help you with the struggles that you are dealing with in your life. And so when you look at the end of chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3, what you see is Paul not only describing their struggle, but the Apostle Paul is also giving them, them some things that will help them with their struggle. And what you're going to learn both this week and next week as we celebrate Easter together is that tough times don't last, but tough people do. I know you've heard that before, but you need to know it and you need to know how do I become a tough person because tough times don't last, but tough people really do. If you look in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning in verse 13, and you read all the way down through chapter 3, verse 5, you'll see the Apostle Paul describing the struggle for these Christians who are in the city of Thessalonica. About halfway down, through verse 14, and then down through verse 15. This is what he says about their struggle. He starts by saying, you suffered. Now, I want you to understand, there's a difference between struggling and suffering. Suffering is a lot more difficult than just struggling. And so when we say that the struggle was real for those in Thessalonica, it was real to the point that there was real suffering going on in their lives. He said, you suffered. From your own people, the same things that those churches suffered from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out of town. They displeased God and they are hostile to everyone. Now, I want to make an observation about their struggle that may or may not be true about your struggle, but their struggle was directly tied to really difficult people, okay? And so can we all just agree that people are really difficult, okay? In fact, I want you to look at your neighbor right now and say, the preacher just said that you are difficult. Go ahead, do it. Say, the preacher just said you're difficult. And now I want you to look at them and say, and I agree with him, okay? Like, just go ahead. Like, don't leave me on an island by myself, right? These people in Thessalonica, man, they were really, really difficult. In fact, the Apostle Paul reminds this church, like, they're not just difficult with you. They're having problems with every single person in their life. They're the same people who killed Jesus. They had problems with the prophets. They had problems with Paul and all of his companions. And now they're having problems with these Christians in Thessalonica. And so these difficult people, are creating difficult situations everywhere they go. And you know people like that, and those people can be the cause of the struggle in your life. John Gordon, a very popular author, he's written books like The Energy Bus, The Power of Positive Leadership, lots of other books. He says about these kinds of people that they are energy vampires. Because these kinds of people, they will suck the life right out of you. And so the Apostle Paul points out that these people are not just hostile to those in Thessalonica, 
They are hostile to everyone that they encounter. Now, this is important because a lot of you really would say the struggle is real and you would trace the struggle back to a particular person in your life. And you just need to know that this right here is why a Christian worldview is so helpful. A Christian worldview helps you see people the way God sees people. God sees people and he says they're sinful. They are broken. They make mistakes. And when they make mistakes, they make major messes. But when you see people the way God sees people, then you can treat people the way God treats people, which is with grace. Now, regardless of what you are struggling with, this is the most important part of the message. I want you to see Paul's goal in working with this church in Thessalonica. He says it in chapter 3, verse 2, and the beginning of verse 3, where he wrote this. We sent Timothy to you, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service in spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why did they send Timothy? To strengthen and encourage your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. And so I want you to catch Paul's goal. The goal is not to change the people who were creating the problem. The goal that he had was to strengthen them so that they were tough enough to deal with the people who were creating the problem. And that is so important for you to understand. Because a lot of us are kind of going through life and we're feeling like the struggle is real, but we think that if we could get people to change or if we could get circumstances to change, then all of my struggles and all of my problems would go away. And it's a lie. And it's a lie that is intended to cause you to leave your spouse. It's a lie that's caused you to leave your church. It's a lie that's caused you to leave meaningful relationships. It's a lie that causes you to turn your back on your friends. And so you're always running from people and you're always running from things. The Apostle Paul's goal was not to change the people who were creating the problem. Because as soon as you change them, someone else is going to step into your life to create a new problem for you. The goal is not to change the people who are creating the problem. The goal is to strengthen you so that you're tough enough to actually handle the problem. You don't need to focus on changing your spouse. You don't need to focus on changing schools. You don't need to focus on necessarily changing jobs or moving to a new community. You need to develop a kind of toughness that will allow you to endure really tough times because you're never going to fix everyone in the world. But if you are tough enough, if you're tough like Jesus, then you can deal with anyone in the world and you can deal with anything in the world. And that's what Paul wanted for them. And that is what I want for you. The struggle is real, but it doesn't mean that you have to be unsettled. That's the word that Paul used right there in chapter 3, verse 3. He doesn't want you to be unsettled because when something is unsettled, it crumbles easily. It can crack up. It can completely fall apart. And that's what happens to so many people who find themselves in the midst of of the struggle. And so Paul's going to do a couple of things. And what Paul does for them, it is designed 
to strengthen them so that they really are tough enough to endure tough times. See, here's what Paul knows about people. When people are going through the struggle, it adds increased pressure to their life. And you need to know that. So I was talking to a young guy in our church not all that long ago, a really, really sharp guy, a guy who has got great leadership skills for a guy his age, a guy who's got great people skills for a guy his age. And what's happening in his life is he is so gifted at a young age, he has been promoted pretty quickly, and he is on the brink of getting even more responsibility in his career. And when we met over lunch, he said to me, he said, Brandon, like the pressure is so real that it's starting to affect who I am, and it's starting to even affect my family at home. And so the question becomes, when you are under increased pressure because the struggle is real in your life, how do you become strong enough that you don't crack under the pressure? Anyone who's in the concrete business knows the answer to this question. Concrete is incredibly strong on its own. But when it is going to be under added pressure, what does it have inside of it that makes it even stronger? Steel rebar. And so in order for you to be strong enough to survive the tough times, what you need is you need certain things embedded in you. you you've got to have something in you that will make you strong enough to endure the added pressure that you're experiencing in your life. And so that's what Paul's going to do for them. He is going to make sure that they have the word of God and he is going to send them a man of God. The word of God, he says, is something that is at work in you because it's going to make you stronger so that you're tough enough to endure tough times. Now, before I talk about the word of God, I want to start by showing you the man of God. His name was Timothy. And the apostle Paul sent Timothy to them because he knew that they needed to hear from this guy, Timothy, because there was a lot that they could learn from this guy, Timothy, who would help them in their struggle. See, the apostle Paul knows that when you struggle, the worst thing that could happen to you is for you to struggle alone. And I really need you to get that. Because that is the path that most people choose for themselves when the struggle gets real in their life. They're ashamed or embarrassed. They feel like they should be capable of handling this on their own. They don't want to disappoint people who love them and who care about them. And so they're struggling and the struggle is real. But the problem is that they are struggling alone. I need you to understand how dangerous this is. I tell people all the time, doing life alone is deadly. And this right here is why we offer all kinds of groups here at Mosaic Church. Because people need to be in relationships with one another. They need a community. They don't just need a small group. They need people that they are actually doing life with because when we're together, we are a whole lot stronger than we ever could be 
alone. I'm telling you, doing life alone is deadly. So what we do is we create community groups, we create support groups, we create recovery groups, we have mentoring relationships, because we believe that from the day you start kindergarten until the day you die, one of the most dangerous things that you could do is do life all by yourself. In fact, the Apostle Paul felt the same way. That's why he said what he said down in verse 18. Look at what he said there. He said, for we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul did, again and again, watch this, but Satan blocked our way. So not only does Paul know that he needs to get to them, but Satan knows that he needs to get to them. Satan knows that these Christians would benefit greatly if the Apostle Paul could go and be with them. And so because Satan wants to wreck and ruin their life, just like he wants to wreck and ruin your life, he's going to do everything within his power to keep them living in isolation, to keep them from getting the help that the Apostle Paul could offer them during this season of their life. But listen to me, he knows it because he knows that when you are alone, you are most vulnerable. But the key is not just having people in your life. There were people in Thessalonica, but those people did not have what it takes to help them get through the struggle. What they needed in their life was not just people, but spiritually mature people. Spiritually mature people who had a desire to become like Jesus and their life was moving toward Jesus. But know this, it's not just that they needed spiritually mature people, they also needed people who knew how to fight and win those battles. Listen to me, students. When the struggle is real in your life, your friends are not the right people to talk to. They're the easiest people for you to talk to, but they're not the right people for you to talk to. And you know it because they haven't fought and won the battles that you're dealing with in your life. Listen to me, adults. Your unchurched buddy at work and your, your buddies at the bar are not the right people for you to be talking to when the struggle is real in your life. You don't want to be sitting up belly at the bar next to a guy who's on his seventh marriage and he's giving you marriage advice, okay? But when the struggle is real, those are not the right people for you to be confiding in and you know it. They're the easiest people, but they are not the best people for you to be processing the struggle with. What you need in your life is you need people who not only know how to fight the battle, they actually know how to win the battle. That's who Paul was. See, the church in Thessalonica, the struggle that they were going through is they were being persecuted because of their faith in Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul knew a thing or two about that. In fact, every time he walked into a new city, he would go into a Jewish synagogue and he would tell all of the Jews about Jesus. They didn't like Paul saying that, and so what did they do? They persecuted him in every town because of his faith in Jesus. And so what they need is someone who is spiritually mature. They need someone who not only knows how to fight the battle, but they also know how to win the battle. And so Paul is trying to get to them. But when Satan blocks his way, he does the next best thing. He sends Timothy to them. Chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. This is what we read. So when we could stand it no longer... 
we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens, and we sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service in spreading the gospel of Christ. And the reason they sent Timothy was to strengthen you and to encourage you in your faith. What they needed was someone who had fought the battle and won the battle, who could be a living human being that could look them in the eyes and say, listen, you're going to get through this. This is how you're going to get through this. And I can tell you that because I got through it in the exact same way. And what that does, when you can look at another human being who has fought that battle and won that battle, and they tell you how to win the battle, then what it does is it strengthens you and it encourages you in your faith. And so Paul sent them a man of God. Now, let me say this, because that's only part of the process. See, we can make people available to you all day, every day here at the church. But you have to be honest when you're processing the struggle with a man of God or a woman of God. Because when the struggle is real, you have to be real. And a lot of people don't want to do that. What they want to do is they want to sugarcoat it. They don't want it to sound as bad as it really is. They don't want everybody to know the part that they played in creating the struggle. And so they try to make it sound like it's not that bad. They don't give all the details, but you need to know that a person's ability to help you is directly affected by how well they really know you. And if they don't really know you, if they don't know where you're strong and where you're weak, if they don't know how bad the struggle really is, if they don't know how dark the depression, if they don't know that you are actually thinking about ending your life, they will not be able to help you because they do not really know you. And so if you're going to make it through tough times, you have to be processing it with a spiritually mature man of God or woman of God who has fought that battle and they have won that battle. But you also need to receive the word of God in your life. I want to take you back to something that Paul said in chapter 2 verse 13 as he starts this whole section of the letter where he's describing the struggle that people were enduring. Listen to what he said on the front end of this whole conversation. He said, and we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it. Not as a human word, but as it actually is the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. And so remember, just like concrete needs something in it in order for it to be strong enough to handle the pressure of the struggle, you need something at work inside of you that will make you stronger than you could ever be on your own. And what Paul says here is that it all revolves around this book right here. Okay? So when it comes to this book right here, you will see this book either as human words or you will see this book as God's words. Now let me tell you something about the people who wrote this book. Over and over and over again, the people who wrote this book said these are not our ideas. 
Because our ideas are not this good, okay? These are God's ideas, and in a very real way, they communicate the idea in all different kinds of ways, but they all keep saying over and over again that they were inspired by the Holy Spirit to write down what they wrote. And so how you view that book will determine how you read that book, okay? So R.C. Sproul spoke about this one time. He said this, he said, it is fashionable in some academic circles to exercise scholarly criticism of the Bible. In doing so, scholars place themselves above the Bible and they seek to correct it. If indeed the Bible is the word of God, nothing could be more arrogant. It is God who corrects us. We do not correct him. And so if you see this book as human words, then yeah, you'll look at it and you'll try to correct this book. You'll go, I don't agree with that. I don't think that could have happened. I don't believe that's the best way to handle this situation. But if you see this book as God's word, then instead of you correcting this book, you will let this book correct you, and then you will have something inside of you that makes you a whole lot stronger than you could ever be on your own. In fact, that's exactly what they're doing in the city of Thessalonica. He uses these words. He said they received it, and he says that they accepted it as it really was, as the Word of God. And then because of that, Paul says that the Word of God went to work in them to make them tough enough to endure tough times. And so what's that look like? What's it practically look like for the Word of God to be at work in you in a way that makes you tough enough to endure tough times? Whatever you're struggling with, I promise you this. There is a story about it in this book. You may have lost an infant at death. There's a story about that in this book. King David dealt with the same issue. Your spouse may have cheated on you. There's all kinds of stories in here about that very issue. You may be in a miserable marriage. Your family may be a train wreck. There are a lot of stories about families that are train wrecks in this book right here. You may be struggling financially. There's a lot in here about finances. You may be struggling with a relationship that you have. You may be struggling with guilt. You may be struggling with depression. You may be struggling with suicide. Whatever you're dealing with, there is a story about it in this book because this book is a timeless document that seeks to address the real struggles that people have in their lives. And so what we do is we turn to this book for leadership and guidance as we make our way through the struggle, okay? So let me show it to you like this. We have this graphic that I like to use here at Mosaic. It's called the three circles graphic. And what this graphic does for us is it shows us that God's original design, it was perfect, But because we made sinful choices, it leads us into what we all feel right now, which is the struggle. But in the midst of the struggle, what we do is we try to create solutions or use human ideas 
to try to figure out how am I going to get out of the struggle? And what our ideas do is they actually take us even further away from God's design and his great plan for his world and for our lives. And so this is why we tell people all the time, in the midst of the struggle, stop doing what you think is best and start doing what Jesus says is best. So what we do is we turn and we trust Jesus and we start to follow Jesus and his teachings as he leads us back to God's great design for our world and for our lives. And so think about Jesus like this. When John was introducing Jesus to his reader in the very first chapter of his gospel, he called Jesus the Word of God. He said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then he drops down later and he said, and the Word of God became flesh, and he made his dwelling among us. So for those of you who don't like to read, you'd rather watch the movie, Jesus is kind of like the movie, okay? He is the living embodiment of the Word of God, so that if you want to know what the Word of God says, just watch his life. He, he came into the world to live his life out in front of us so that we would know exactly what God has said and exactly the way God thinks and exactly the way God would want us to live our lives. And yet the problem for a lot of us is we get stuck in the struggle because we're listening to human words rather than listening to God's words. And so we process with our friends, and our friends will say things like this. Well, I'll tell you what I would do if I were you. And next time someone says, I'll tell you what I would do if I were you, here's what I want you to say to them. I want you to say to them, I'm not really interested in what you would do if you were me because your life is just as messed up as my life is. And I don't think you're capable of helping me, okay? And so that needs to be your response because what you really need in your life are not human words. You need a human being who will take you back to God's words so that you can take this book that is the number one selling book in the history of the world for a reason. And it will help you make your way through the struggle. In this book, there is always a story about your struggle. It may tell you what to do. It may tell you what not to do. You may love the answer that you find. You may not like the answer that you find, but you will find an answer to the struggle in this book as you turn to the Word of God and you process it together with a man of God or a woman of God, which is really what Timothy was doing for this church in Thessalonica. Now, as we wrap it up today, I want to say this. I know that some of you walked in, and when you walk through the doors, you are carrying a very real struggle in your life. And some of you may even feel like you are at your breaking point. I know that the struggle for you is real, but way more important than that, God knows that the struggle in your life right now is very, very real. But I want you to know something about God. He is for you. He has proven it over and over in this book. We, we talked about it. It was our entire last series. There is a God in heaven who is for you. He loves you and he wants to help you. And this is why he sent Jesus Christ into the world. A lot of people think about his son, Jesus, and they think Jesus was this mild, meek, mannered man who walked on the earth. That, that is not the Jesus that you read about in Scripture. Jesus was a tough man who endured really tough times so that when things got tough in your life, he could be a credible leader for you to follow. 
There's a guy named Mark Batterson who once wrote a piece on this very issue. It's entitled Jesus, the epitome of toughness. I want to read it to you as we begin to close. He said this, when you hear the phrase tough guy, who do you think of? Some people think of baseball Ironman, Cal Ripken, or NFL icon Brett Favre. Or perhaps you recall your favorite film hero, certainly William Wallace or Maximus Decimus Meridius comes to mind for many, and they qualify as tough guys, no doubt. But none of them carried a cross to Golgotha and then allowed themselves to be hammered to it with seven-inch nails. And if we had been eyewitnesses to the crucifixion, we would never read Luke 9.23 the same way again. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Take up your cross? We say it so effortlessly. We say it so flippantly, but that's because we read it figuratively. It's estimated that a Roman cross weighed 300 pounds. And even if Jesus carried only the crossbar, it was still placed on raw flesh on his back that had just been flogged. And he carried it no less than 650 yards down the Via Dolorosa. When I say tough as nails, this is what I mean. It's the epitome of toughness. Being a tough guy doesn't mean sticking up for yourself when you get offended. A true tough guy sacrifices himself for the sake of others. Jesus didn't just carry a 300-pound cross. He carried the weight of the world. Every offense ever committed was placed on his shoulders, and he carried it all the way to Calvary. I want you to think about that as we celebrate Good Friday this next week. Jesus was a tough man who endured tough times so that he could be a credible leader in your life. He wants to show you how to be tough. He wants to show you how to get through tough times. He understands that the struggle is real, but he came so that he could be a credible leader that would lead you through the struggle. And the apostle Paul knew this as he was writing to the church in Thessalonica. Paul had his own struggles. In fact, he wrote about them. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, he reflects on the struggles in his own life. And then he wrote this. He said, but he, being Jesus, said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Then Paul said, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. See, when we acknowledge our weakness in the midst of the struggle, then Jesus gives us his strength. And so, yes, the struggle is real, but his strength is also real. And that's what you need inside of you as you try to become tough enough to endure tough times. And so let me say this. If you're not a follower of Jesus, that's why you need to become one today. By becoming a follower of Jesus, all that means is you put your faith in Jesus to forgive your sins and to become the one who will lead your life so that he can lead you to become a tough person that can really get through tough times. And so if you want to do that today, all you got to do is say, God, I do believe in Jesus. I want him 
to forgive my sins and to become the leader of my life. And you will enter into a relationship with God through that simple expression of faith. If you are a follower of Jesus, there is still work here for you. You, like the Apostle Paul, me, like the Apostle Paul, we need to acknowledge our weakness and we need to invite Jesus into our struggle so that we could have his power in the midst of the struggles that we're dealing with in life. The band is going to come out and they're going to close our service with a song called, I want to see a victory. Here's what I want you to know about Easter as we prepare for it. The struggle is real, but because of Easter, victory is eternal. And I do not want you to lose sight of that this week. And so if you've got a struggle in your life, if you need a pastor, if you need someone to pray with you, we have men and we have women who are going to be right through those double doors to your left. If you want someone to introduce you and help you start a relationship with Jesus, we're going to be through those double doors. You make your way over there during this song. The rest of us will stand and we'll sing together. Let me pray and then we'll sing. God, I thank you so much for the way that your word helps us with the reality of the struggles that we're dealing with in our lives. God, I want to pray for people who are struggling in all different kinds of ways. I pray, God, that right now your Holy Spirit would just love on them and encourage them and strengthen them from the inside out so that they would be tough enough to endure really tough times. God, God, I pray that they would feel your compassion. God, I pray that right now they would feel your love. God, I pray that they would understand that you came for a cross to conquer a tomb so that while the struggle may be real, our victory could be forever. God, I I want people to know that today so that they would have great hope. And I ask that you do all of this in Jesus' great name. Amen.